So we're going to continue in our series in the book of John, the gospel according to John. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there with me to John chapter 15. If you do not own a Bible, we have uh, Bibles here at the end of your rows, these blue books. And you can turn to page 526 to find John chapter 15. We're going to be reading this morning John 15, 26 through chapter 16, verse 4. Listen closely, for this is God's word. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Nate. You know, when things get tough, you never know who might step in and help. Uh, That was true for Deb Gunter. She was a 2000 high school, Cuthbertson High School. Uh, She and her team were in a stiff competition with several schools uh, around getting into the next level of the state playoffs and when she was running uh, some time back. And uh, in particular, they were in competition with another school, Salisbury High School. And uh, Deb Gunner was, was running in a, pl- a pretty competitive place in the race and was so much so that she was near the front. And uh, getting near the end of the race, something happened where she all of a sudden stopped and screamed in pain because her hips started hurting. She doubled over in pain, not far from the finish line. Uh, This was bad news for Cuthbertson High School because they were trying to get into the state playoffs and needed Deb to perform well that day. What, what, What happened next was just extraordinary. There was a young woman who was racing behind Deb Gunner the whole time. Her name was Jenna Huff, actually. Ended up meeting her later on at a swim meet. Uh, uh, Jenna Huff was actually from North Stanley High School, which is a smaller school over a few counties over. And and Jenna uh, was racing behind Deb when she saw her double over in pain. And to the surprise of many, Jenna stopped. She stopped. She walked up to Deb Gunner. She grabbed her under her arm and said, come on. Let's go. And she, from another team, carried Deb Hunter to the finish line. Not only that, when she got to the finish line, she actually pushed Deb out in front of her so that she would finish one place ahead of Jenna Huff. Now, you got to know that this act of sportsmanship became so well-known that Jenna Huff ended up going to Colorado and got a national award for the extraordinary things she did. 
But I got to tell you, something else happened that was amazing. <laughs> you see, Cuthbertson and Salisbury were trying to get into the next level of state playoffs in cross country, uh, and there was a tie between Salisbury and between Cuthbertson. And they had to go through each runner down to the sixth place runner. And who do you think the sixth place runner for Cuthbertson was? It was Deb Gunner. Jenna Huff helped Deb Gunner to get to the finish line and actually helped Cuthbertson High School get to the next level of the playoffs at the same time. She did it for another team. <laughs> when things get tough, you never know who might step up to help. And, and guys, that's precisely what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 15 today, 15 and 16. Since John 13, Jesus has been preaching and teaching to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross in what we call the farewell discourse. He's been telling them all kinds of uh, amazing things about what it looks like to follow him. And last week, Josh highlighted a certain area of our text where Jesus, uh, in John 15, talks at length about the challenges that will come our way, the tough things that are going to happen to those who call themselves disciples of Jesus. And the, kind of the, the shocking thing Jesus said last week was this, that people hated him, ergo, therefore... They will hate you when you follow Jesus. And sure enough, we know there are seasons in different cultures where Christianity just isn't cool. It just isn't cool. And there's pushback where people set themselves against Christ and his people. Today we're going to look at this text and how to navigate when, God, when people push back against us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's our questions for today. How can believers follow Christ when being a Christian isn't cool? How do we make it to the finish line when, with Jesus instead of tapping out when we run into major challenges to our faith? Well, Jesus is going to give us, I think, three things to consider today. You don't have it on the back of your bulletin because we didn't have time to put it there. But first thing is Jesus is going to send, he sends the Holy Spirit to witness to us. Jesus, secondly, calls followers to witness to others. And third, Jesus warns and assures us with the truth about what it means to experience resistance in his name. So let's dive in the text by looking at what Jesus says on how we can make it to the finish line when we experience challenges to our faith that take all kinds of forms. Look at verse 26 with us. Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about me. Jesus has just told the disciples, including us, that in some shape, form, or fashion, if you follow Jesus, you will run into uh, resistance of, in various places, in various shapes and forms. For the disciples then, in Jesus' time, the guys he's talking to in this text, of course, we know in the book of Acts that they go through the, the ringer in many ways. They are verbally uh, accused. They are brought before courts. They are imprisoned. They are beaten. Paul is beaten with the 39 lashes on multiple occasions. And yes, we know that most of the apostles 
were actually killed for preaching the Word of God and about Jesus. Now, that begs the question, then, what about us now? What about us now? How does that affect us? Well, no doubt, persecution is a growing problem in our world, and yes, even in our own backyard. America has not made it to the top 50 watch list uh, for persecuted countries in the world. Those would include North Korea, Afghanistan, China, India, among others. But we can say this about Christianity America. Persecution is on the rise. Some of me, well, how, how is that? How is it on the rise? Well, I want you to consider something. And you got, I want you to sit with this a little bit. We live in what's called a post-Christian culture. A post-Christian culture. And we live in a post-Christian culture where church attendance and religious affiliation is in sharp decline. Uh, in fact, there's a growing resistance to Christianity, even to our ethics in many places. Now, that shows up where we live on a daily, li- daily basis. Think about a situation for a moment where you may have been resisted for following Jesus, where someone may have criticized you or criticized your life works, or casting aspersions on followers of Jesus. Maybe it shows up sometimes in the context of your employment, your places of employment, where a boss might give you a hard time for trying to be ethical at work and want you to cut corners. Maybe it looks like neighbors doing and saying things to uh, cast aspersions on you over and against the other neighbors of the neighborhood. And that even despite your best efforts to love. Maybe it looks like teenagers in our schools and high schools being mocked, even marginalized for following Christ in some real way and not giving in to peer pressure. In media today, it's very evident more and more that uh, uh, Christians are mischaracterized as to who we are and what we believe. you got to ask them, so how do we survive, even thrive, in the midst of these challenges? Well, Jesus tells us here in John 15. He tells us uh, even before this text when he says, Abide in me and I in you. Stay connected to me. That's a real key thing to start with when you're in challenges, the importance of being in relationship, staying connected to Christ because he's connected to you. He even says earlier, abide in my love. Receive the love of God. Open your hearts to it and receive that love, even as you're experiencing perhaps resistance and hatred from other people. But in our text, Jesus gets really specific about what he wants, uh, what gospel we have in the midst of this challenge. In verse 26, he tells us, when the helper... When the Holy Spirit comes, uh, he will do it uh, to encourage us. Now, let me, let me kind of highlight this point. Notice Jesus doesn't say if. He doesn't say there's potential here for the Holy Spirit. He says when. When the Holy Spirit. Meaning the intent of God is to send the Spirit to you. Not only that, he goes on to talk about how Christ sends the Holy Spirit by asking the Father. How the Father sends the Holy Spirit. Earlier texts say the Father gives the Spirit. Here's what that means, guys. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity are unified in their intent to support 
you personally and us as the church. They're unified. They're committed. They're all in to help us in that way. This is the gospel for us. When we're in trouble following Jesus, when you get pushback, a left hook you didn't expect, God moves towards us with his presence. Jesus says the Father in, in, intentionally cares for our needs. What does that look like in particular? Well, the text tells us. He pours out the Holy Spirit upon Pouring the Spirit, his very presence into our lives, and we are being filled. Pouring and filling happens throughout Scripture. Well, that's what he does in our lives. He pours the Holy Spirit into our lives. Here's what it looks like in the Trinity, all right? Like when you're going through hard times and you're like, somebody's really giving me a hard time for following Jesus. Here's what's happening at that very moment. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. Father, send the Spirit to encourage them and fill them again with the Spirit that they might be encouraged in the midst of this. This is how believers make it through the hatred of the world. It's not by saying, I'll just grin and bear it. It's the love of God coming to you in the Spirit and meeting you and being with you in His very presence. Now, the interesting thing is in our text, uh, it talks about how the Holy Spirit comes with a purpose. It says, He will bear witness to me. See that? Jesus, of course, talking about himself, he will bear witness to Jesus. What does that mean? Well, you've got to remember, uh, during this point in the farewell discourse, this is the third time Jesus brought up the Holy Spirit. Third time. The first time he brought up the Holy Spirit, he was talking about how the Holy Spirit will... Second time, he tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us and help us to remember the gospel teaching of Jesus, the Word of God in general. That's what he does. But here, he says the Holy Spirit will witness to us. Here's what that means. When the world condemns you, when the world or someone you know and maybe even care for zings you in Jesus because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will be right there advocating for you. He'll be your covenant lawyer saying, hey, listen. Here's what's really true. Don't listen to the accusations of the world. Let me tell you the gospel of what's really true in this moment when people are saying things about you. And here's what the Holy Spirit will tell you. Here's what truth looks like. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's often called the quiet person of the Trinity meaning his job is to direct us to Christ, to be a witness to Christ. He's saying, look to Jesus as your salvation again. And we've talked about this a few times, but that's what I love about how Jesus teaches in this text. He's not just talking about justification. He's talking about how Jesus will save you right now, right here as the living Lord. He will save us in this current trial that you might be encountering why does this matter? Why, why does this even matter at all? Well, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this could mean that you might be on the wrong end of an argument. You might be on the wrong side of a real issue. And here's what I'd say is wisdom, 
Wisdom means that wherever you are in your worldview, you need to step back and ask this one question. What is true? Whether I feel like it's true or not. What is true? Ask that before you make dogmatic statements or accusations even about Christianity. What does that mean for the Christian? What does that mean for those of us who follow Christ? Well, if you've ever been falsely accused, condemned, mocked, even for your faith, the Holy Spirit will minister to you. He will come to you and minister to you. Let me give you three things that he'll do for you, okay? The first is this. The Holy Spirit will assure you the truth of Jesus' reality and his sovereignty. He has the power to ration in the moment, which you inevitably will feel if he will even save you from the circumstance. I'll never forget, I worked for a company in seminary. I was an engineer, kind of making our way as we were working through seminary. And uh, uh, one time, the management of this, of this smaller company came to me and asked me if I would be a field engineer for them because they were growing and I was helping them in some real practical ways, even as a part-time employee. I, you know, I, I told them, you know, guys, I appreciate the offer. It's really kind. But uh, truth is, I, I'm actually committed to finishing seminary. That's my full-time job, really. I'm doing this to really just pay the bills. Well, not long after that, the vice president of the company approached me and started asking me some questions. And these were not happy questions. <laughs> he ended up actually accusing me and trashing my Christian faith, saying, why do you believe this series of not-so-repeatable words? <laughs> so, I, re- I walked away from that a little shocked, a little intimidated by the VP of the company, you know. But then it hit me as I was praying through it. I was like, and it's like the Holy Spirit really cared for me at that moment and said, Dean, you don't need to be afraid of him. He needs to be afraid of me. That's what the Holy Spirit will do when you're going through a trial in life. He will attend to you and remind you that Jesus is the king. Jesus is sovereign. He's in control of all things. But the second thing the Holy Spirit will do is this. Romans 8 says this, that the Holy Spirit will remind you that you're a child of God, that you belong. If you've ever been criticized unjustly, unfairly, you know what the next thing that usually happens in our hearts We feel ostracized. But here's what the Holy Spirit tells us. He assures us, no, no, no. You're my family. I saved you. You belong. I love you. That's what the Holy Spirit will tell us, is that you actually do belong when the world would tell you you don't belong. The third thing the Holy Spirit will tell us is this also, is that he will remind us of the gospel in Scripture in particular. The Holy Spirit not only is a witness to Christ, he tells us to go to the Word, to go listen to the voice of God in Scripture. This is very important. When someone says something to you or about you regarding Christ and your Christianity, you've got to ask the question, what's true? What's true no matter what I feel at the moment? What does God actually say to me? What is true about what he says in his word? The wonder of having God speak above and beyond me, and dare I just even suggest even without us? 
speaking into our world as he does is that we can have some life and truth to bank our lives on. The temptation in our troubles is to believe lies, is to believe temptation. But Jesus here is is saying the Holy Spirit will be a witness to me. He will call us to believe the truth of his word. You know, even in the last six, eight months, as Elizabeth's been going through her thing, even uh, when I've talked with people who are going through some challenges at work or abroad, what I've listened, heard is, is I've reminded everybody, including myself, of what Jeremiah 31 has said. Jeremiah 31 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, God said that to his people who are about to go through major trauma in the, in the exile. <laughs> but if he's saying it, I have loved you with an everlasting love, that means he's still loving. And that applies to us even now. It not only applies back then, uh, 586 B.C., it applies to us at this moment that Jesus is loving us. Ask for the Holy Spirit to comfort and help you, to direct you to the Word of God, to even embolden you to keep following faithfully because Jesus is Lord, because he's the king over the situation. So, when the world hates us, when we... We have hope because of the gospel. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ and to his greatness for us. Now, that begs another question. How else, then, do we handle the pushback? How else do we handle it? Well, Jesus tells us another shocking thing in verse 27. Look at that with me. Verse 27, he says, You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Is Jesus saying what we think he's saying, that in the midst of resistance, of criticism, that we actually share our faith and talk about Jesus? Yep, that's what he's saying. You think about it, that's what the disciples did. Most of their preaching was done under duress in the book of Acts. Uh, And the text has special meaning for them that they, in their case, as Jesus speaks to them first, would be the ones who would first preach the gospel to all the world, who would first write down the gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. That's, a, that's the true application for this text, but we, we have a derivative application as well. We too are to share the gospel of Christ uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. Over the last few months, I've been walking with an unbelieving friend named Brian, and he's, he's been a friend a long time. Uh, we decided to walk on a regular basis once a week. He asked me to start walking again because we'd moved away from each other in Indian Trail and Ballantyne, respectively. And so we started that we would start reading the Bible together. I invited him to. That's another story. And uh, so every, every time we walk, we talk over one chapter of the book of John, the Gospel of John. So a few weeks ago, I was walking with Brian, and I asked him, so, so Brian, um, what do you think of John chapter 2? And he's like, well, man, Jesus made wine. Now, you got to understand, um, Brian wasn't churched, all right? He's, he hasn't read the Bible a whole lot. <laughs> so he says, Jesus made wine. You know why Brian liked it? Because he likes making beer. And he's made some good beer. I've had it. <laughs> but then he said this. He said, you know, I didn't know Jesus got mad 
in John chapter 2, when he went in that temple and he kind of blew things up there, you know, for all the people there. I say, yeah, you know what that was? That was, a, that was the wrath of God showing up in Jesus. That was where Jesus wasn't going to let those people use money to manipulate a God for their own purposes. And I say, well, what else about it? looked like Jesus' ego was getting in the way because it says he knew what was in a man, but he didn't, he didn't uh, trust a man. I was like, well, actually, that's not Jesus' ego. And here's where the Holy Spirit helped me. I said this. I said, you know, there's a running theme here, Brian. Jesus, in the, when the whole water and the wine thing, he wouldn't let his mom kind of direct things. He said, wait a minute, I'm going to do this on my own terms and time. He wouldn't let the, um, the religious authorities and the money changers dictate the way God is, wanted to be worshipped and manipulate him there. And then when he says he, he doesn't trust what's in a man, that means he doesn't let us control or manipulate him either. See, the issue is not his ego. The issue is our ego. He's overcoming our ego in that text. Brian said, oh, okay. I said, Jesus wants to be Lord of everything, everything in our lives. Guys, I got to tell you, I didn't come up with that real quickly on my own without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit. And he can do the same for you when you have conversations with people about Christ. So here's what we need is a prayer in our time. A prayer in our time while we do this business of reaching out in mission. We need a prayer for courage. Courage. Courage to share the gospel. We live in a post-Christian age, and here's what that means. A post-Christian age does not think Christianity is the dominant op- one option among many. So here's what the dominant option of our age is. You ready? Unbelief. Unbelief. That's actually the option of our age in America. And it's spreading like wildfire. I've been talking with some Uh, non-Christian friends for a while now, and this thing I hear over and over again is people don't want Christianity. They want their own thing, salad bar religion, where I'll take a little bit of Christianity. I like this love of God thing, but kid you not, just a month back, I heard a young woman say, yeah, but I really like reincarnation, you know, this kind of karma thing. And they want to bring in all kinds of views. That's our age. So what that means is that adjusts our expectations of how we have conversations about Christ, especially if you grew up in a church. You've got to come to grips with, this isn't a churched age anymore. It's changed. We need courage and to pray for courage. Listen to what Joshua 1 says about this. Joshua 1 Listen to the language of the Holy Spirit here even. It says, uh, this is what um, God says to, to Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Hmm, sounds like John 14, 15, yeah. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Consider how God acted with Moses and with Joshua. He moved nations. He moved people sovereignly. He did it in the power of the Holy Spirit 
to get the gospel out. You think he could do the same with you and me? You think he could do something with his church? So, Christ sends the Holy Spirit to witness to us so we can also go out and witness to others about the wonders of Christ as our Savior. But there is one more reason. We need the Spirit, especially when we're challenged in our faith. And it comes in verses 1 through 4. Real quickly, 1 through 4 says, As I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when it, whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. <laughs> Could you imagine being the disciples when you first heard this? I mean, you're thinking Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's going to be the king. It's going to be major triumphant stuff. And then Jesus says, hey, um, they're going to kick you out of the synagogue. They're going to excommunicate you, and then they're going to kill you. Can you imagine what's going through their head? It's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But this is Jesus's Again, bringing fair warning to his people. Fair warning that we will experience trouble following him. I mean, no surprise. Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Now, why is Jesus warning us? Well, John 15 already tells us that he doesn't hold back to his friends. We go back earlier in the text, but he says, hey, friends, don't hold back the plan. Don't hold back the issues that are coming. Real friends that love will tell you the truth. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Real friends will clue you in, include you in what's coming in the plan. But there is another reason here in verse 1. Did you see that? He said, so that you won't fall away to keep you from falling away. Now, the old word there for, for the Greek in falling away is this. It's uh, apostasy. So there's a technical term. Okay, but do you notice that the worst thing that could happen to you is not that they would kill you, which would be worst case scenario, we think. No, the worst thing that could happen is that you fall away from Christ. Now, we saw this in some of the earlier followers of Jesus. There is a, in 2 Timothy 4, uh, Paul has a co-worker named Demas who falls away. And then, of course, the most famous one who falls away in Scripture is Judas Iscariot, right? Who falls away from Jesus and a well-known apostate. That brings up the question then, wait, is Jesus saying we can fall away? <laughs> Aren't we saved by grace through faith in Christ? Well, Jesus is not saying you can lose your salvation. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Those who fall away are actually revealed for their unbelief, that they po profess Christ but don't possess him. But it, what, what this does do is it learns to run when we're under pressure with, for Jesus' sake. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you guys. If you don't know that about yourself then you are a sure candidate for it. If you don't know that you won't run under pressure, you are a sure candidate for it. It's a little bit like married people and affairs. 
If you think you'll never, ever have an affair, then you don't understand what's in you and how broken you actually are. It's best to know that all of us are prone to wandering, and therefore, we should prepare ourselves. That's what Jesus is getting at in our text. He's saying, prepare yourself. Don't be blindsided. Temptation will come your way under pressure. How does that apply to us even now? Well, I'm going to give you a practical example. You might have heard several months ago, Karen Pence, the wife of our vice president, Mike Pence, was assailed for working, get this, as a Christian school teacher. It was all over the news that she affirmed classic Christian doctrine and ethics at this school, abortion, a whole host of things. And it went out all over the internet how she was letting the nation down in so many ways. Karen Pence just wanted to work a job as a teacher, and she got pummeled. We now live in a world where it isn't enough to just be different in our views, even as Christians. It's not enough to just be different in a Christian lifestyle. We now are increasingly living in a world where different parts of the pub ways or be called bigots. Because that's what she was called. Let me be clear, not all of our society, not all of our friends, not all of our coworkers, or even our companies uh, treat us this way, but there is a growing movement where they claim the moral high ground against Christian faith and values. In other words, gone are the days when you could enjoy what was left of Christendom in our culture. Gone are those days. But there is another aspect of this to us, and this comes even closer to home. You and I face the challenge of being in a church plant. You want to know where you put you, yourself, and your family in the bullseye well enough in the kingdom? It's through church planting. Be a part of a church plant, and you'll, you'll get zinged, pummeled in some way by Satan, by maybe even people in some cases. You never know. There's something about church planting that puts you in the crosshairs. What Jesus is trying to tell us is stay the course. Stay the course. Hang in there in the business of reaching out and doing gospel ministry. In fact, there are two ways you can do that that are embedded in our text. The first is this. Jesus says this at the end in verse 4 when he says, remember. That's the hard part. Remembering the gospel, remembering Jesus, remembering that he will save you not just 10 years ago when you had a great experience with him, but right now in certain circumstances. Remember he'll rescue you. Remember he's near and he's eagerly sending the Holy Spirit to sustain you, to encourage you. Remember not only by going to the gospel and the word of God, but here's what I want you guys to do in particular. Remember by telling each other. This is the thing we have to do is not just preach the gospel to ourselves, but preach the gospel lovingly, gently to each other. Remind each other, Jesus is with us. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He is walking with us through the challenges of life personally, even our church 
and all that goes on in church planning. I'm with you, is what he's saying. But there's one last thing that I tell you that's in our text. And this is real assurance for us. It's embedded in verse 3. When Jesus says this, he says, the reason why people hate us or resist us or give us a hard time for our Christian faith is they don't know the Father. They don't know. So what's the application for us? Know God. Connect to him personally. Connect to him relationally. Listen to the Holy Spirit as you go to the Word and say, Lord, I need you. Engage the Lord in that very real way. Know him in the Spirit as you pray in the Spirit, as Jude says. Now, i got to clarify this. When I say no to a bunch of Reformed Presbyterian types, our first impulse is knowledge. <laughs> knowledge. Let's just get more information. you got to know, that's me. I'm an engineer and a church planner, and I'm in the PCA. I'm all into more information. But John Owen says it this way. There's a difference between the knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of the power of the truth. Those are very different things. He's calling us today to know the power of the truth in the Holy Spirit, in a real personal relationship. That's what Jesus is calling us to today. There's nothing like knowing God personally in hard things. He's pouring it out, pouring the Spirit and filling us so that we can engage Him. And He's calling us to witness to that to both enjoy it ourselves and then give it away to the world, even to the people who might be in the process of even giving us a hard time. When following Christ ends it cool and you get zing, remember, like Jenna Huff and Deb Gunter, he picks you up and he carries you across the finish line. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you could, we could be with you this morning and listen to your word but, and worship you. But I pray even for this, every individual here, Lord, for our church, that you would give us the Holy Spirit. You'd fill us. You'd make your presence known. And we would enjoy you. Because, Lord, in the end, that's the thing. You're the person who will give us life by just being here. We want to be with you. Now lead us to that end, even through the Lord's Supper in Christ's name. Amen.